Welcome to the podcast, Leading Change. I'm your host, Adam Christie. We have a real treat for you today. Our guest does it all. He's a singer, arranger, composer, producer, teacher, and director. He has arranged over 2,000 songs for some of the world's best ensembles. Among his many accolades, he was a producer on the show The Sing-Off on NBC, which produced the great group The Pentatonics. He also was the music director and arranger for the very popular Pitch Perfect movies. He can be found on DeekSharon.com. I encourage you to follow him on all of his social media, including Instagram, Facebook, and his Twitter, which is at DeekSharon. We brought him on to talk about his unique perspective on politics a couple of days after the U.S. election. Ladies and gentlemen, the legend, Mr. Deke Sharon. It is my pleasure. Just call me Deke. And I'm, uh, for anybody who's listening, I am, uh, just so they know, I'm not myself uh, actively politically conservative. Um, I definitely lean toward the progressive side of things. I live in San Francisco, California, and I was born and raised here, but I'm not registered with the Democratic Party either. I'm, I'm an independent, and I like to think of myself as always seeking the truth, regardless of the circumstance, and then what's the best way for us to move forward uh, as a people, as a nation, as a country. Hmm. And, and my life's work is to spread harmony through harmony. I believe very much that we have much more in common than we have different and uh, and vocal harmony is a great way to get people from different backgrounds, different uh, different races, different classes, uh, different parts of the world to come together. And when they sing together, they realize the commonality, the bonds that they have, and the humanity that they share is far more powerful than any specific differences. Um, it's a very powerful uh, tool for social adhesion. And this is a time when our country is as divided as it's been since the civil war i think i mean i really do think that we've got serious stark lines drawn and i'm i'm doing what i can to erase them by being on here i think it does a, a huge service to that um let me ask you how would you describe the assault conservatives feel um from being in the music education composing arranging world um from what i understand you know they feel like they can't share that they're conservative like they'll be attacked mm -hmm. can you describe that yes uh and i think that it's probably somewhat akin to being uh like staunchly liberal and being in a, a much more conservative field i don't know construction police work i don't want to to label or typify too much but um, I don't think the situation is merely that it's difficult for conservatives to be in, in a largely artistic field. I think it's difficult for people of one political bent to be in a situation where in their career they're surrounded primarily with people from a different political viewpoint. Mm -hmm. And so I do have friends who are conservative and they speak to me candidly and they actually know they can speak to me candidly. Uh, but one of the main things they say is they know that they cannot speak openly in our community because they will be um, perhaps not ostracized by everyone, but definitely um, distanced, mm. not invited as often, not looked to for choices and options, et cetera, et cetera. And that's a real shame. I think it's a shame that 
anybody would feel that they wouldn't be able to speak their mind. And I think we should talk more about that, about the, the dangers of, of uh, an illiberal uh, culture in which honesty and communication is not held as the highest um, standard. And I think it's also unfortunate that there are people who actively think the correct way to bring about social change is to silence voices. Where do you think it went wrong, Deke? When, when did this really start to get really bad? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, we got to go back a bit. I'm, I'm 52 years old, and I think it really started with the deregulation of the media, which um, happened during the Reagan era, best I understand, and I remember these days. And uh, I think it was well-meaning, and I appreciate the desire to unfetter uh, political speech, speech in general, and to allow um, anybody from it, from any perspective to be able to, to jump on the airwaves and share what they believe. However, there are some specific challenges with it. Before, when there were three networks and there were these newsrooms that were being run by the networks at a loss, there was, there was kind of a high bar that had to be cleared before anything could be shared. There was a lot of time and energy that went into researching things. And so by the time different viewpoints got spread and shared, uh, they'd been vetted. So you didn't get a lot of conspiracy fringe theories. And you also had to give some time if there was a legitimate counter argument. And I remember uh, watching public television saying like, and here's the counter argument, um, you know, the idea of sharing, sharing the airwaves and, and trying to s disseminate information rather than specifically uh, spread polemic and, and uh, try to change minds. Now, that's always been the case. There's always been strong political viewpoint uh you know infused and nobody is complete without bias but that was the first terrible step step number two was the um 24-hour news cycle so as soon as we got cnn on the air and again it's not it, it it's it's a compound effect so then they need to constantly generate news and the whole idea that something is news is uh the, the bar is lowered because they got to come up with something else to put in there right then we have the problem of the for-profit media, right? Before, like I said, the networks, they ran the newsrooms at a loss, but all of a sudden you've got news organizations that need to generate income specifically around the news. So, and the movie network brings this up in the seventies, right? And the whole line, mm -hmm. if it bleeds, it leads, right? So things were already going in, in a bad direction because people were trying to capture eyeballs and get better ratings. But this got weaponized, I think, as uh, more and more news sources were stepping into the fray to try to get people's attention, and it just lowered and lowered the discourse. Plus, um, it's been said by many a uh, media expert that the way in which we digest media is far more intellectual, thoughtful, and has many more pauses in it when we read it than when we watch video, which actually can overwhelm us. And this can be done to powerful effect, but it also very much can be done to confuse and stymie our ability to logically think, because specifically the core emotions of fear and anger down in our medulla obligata, the base of our brain, will overtake us. And frankly, it's those emotions that are so powerful in getting uh, some kind of political statement or some kind of media statement to go viral, which is now the next problem, the internet, where we end up having a, uh, a, a constant place where anybody can say anything. And in fact, on these platforms uh, like Facebook and Twitter, 
uh, an outlandish statement or a powerful statement that causes outrage is far more sticky and it's far more uh, powerfully spread. Um, and this is both information and disinformation. Actually, Facebook doesn't fundamentally care if something's true uh, via their algorithm, although they seem to slowly be putting their toe in that water. They care if it's getting views and eyeballs and clicks. So political speech and statements become shorter and sound bites already were king by the time Reagan was, was president. But now it's gone further and further downfield where people are looking for visual media and they're looking for ways in which to create and spark outrage. Um, and it's it's been a, a growing problem, I think, on both sides of, of the political divide. And then we get Russia stepping into, into the situation, and it's been shown that they were actively trying to sow dissent within America on both sides of the political field, although, whatever, they found more success on the fringe right than on the fringe left, and there are different reasons for this we can talk about. Um, but ultimately, there was active dissemination of false information in America to try to make Americans uh, hate each other and think that America is the problem, that 50% of America is the problem, to where now my understanding is that polls have come out to show that half of Americans, some on the left, some on the right, think that other half of Americans are evil. Hmm. This is a truly problematic situation for us to be in when we are, uh, in a democracy. And my apologies to anyone, if you're still listening here, uh, <laughs> this was a long, long, uh, a bit of a diatribe, but I do think that it was it was a, a growing arms race, as it were, and a series of steps that have taken us down this very unfortunate path that I hope we're able to reverse ourselves from. And the, the fact that few people are reading, most of the people are, are getting their uh, getting their information through a combination of uh, video and flashy media and all that, as opposed to sitting down and reading a long, thoughtful uh, hmm. uh, article is is definitely a, a big piece of this. Now, d was it always, because before there was, um, I mean, like in the Reagan eras, there was CNN, uh, ABC, CBS. Um, what, what happened when... Fox News entered the free. I, I hope that I'm not saying these things with uh, with too much bias in my voice, but obviously, like I said, um, we're, we're you're talking to somebody who is generally politically more progressive, and and I believe that Fox News um, started to blur the line between um, actual reporting and commentary, and I think they did it intentionally. Um, hmm. They said, okay, the motto was fair and balanced. And it's still the case today where their daytime programming is designed to be and is considered for legal reasons to be news reporting. However, once they get into the evening hour and they're talking about, uh, you've got the pundits on, you've got the opinion shows and all that kind of stuff. This is actually technically considered entertainment. And that's the way it's seen by the FCC. That's the way it's categorized and it allows them a much wider swath and ability to say things that are not necessarily true and to not be held to task. So are um, you talking about the uh, Tucker, Carlson, Tucker Carlson thing? Absolutely. And, yeah. and he's not the only person. And I also don't want to create um, a situation where uh, I say that there's nobody on the left who's also... Uh, exaggerating circumstances and things. Although from my perspective, there has been more 
that has happened uh, politically on the right. There's a higher level of of uh, disinformation out there and the QAnons and the Pizza Gates and these kind of pernicious beliefs throughout a, a swath of the far right. This is not all people who are conservative. Believe mm -hmm. me, most people do not believe that Hillary Clinton was running a pedophile ring out of a pizza joint. <laughs> no, no, they do not believe that. And it's I'm embarrassed that you know, I even have to put that out there. Uh, there are significant problems on the far left, which I would like to also bring up and talk about, but I think they have less to do with a kind of disinformation and more to do with a problematic approach to what they see as forwarding um, social justice. Let's let's go to the left. Um, sure. What, what do you see as their big issues? Let me start by saying that the fundamental focus of the left, even the far left, is justice. And they are looking at a society and a culture in which injustice has been baked into the sauce, and I agree with them. I agree entirely that systemic racism is still a problem in America. And and I, I get that some people say, like, look, we had a black president. There are a lot of people who are white who are unemployed. I have a lot of friends who are, who are of color, and they are, like, very successful. And it really feels to me like racism isn't there. But when you look at the fact that uh, the average family of color, the average black family has maybe only a couple of dollars, five dollars worth of wealth for every hundred dollars that, that a white family has. Hmm. Uh, the fact that the um, uh, property they own over generations has been in black neighborhoods, which were actively redlined. And so their property values are lower and they have much less wealth built up in their families and they don't have the ability to give as many opportunities and to help their kids. Um, and of course, then there's affirmative action, which has been and was uh, very beneficial, certainly in the early days in trying to write these scales. But there are also challenges that get complex. And, you know, I live in San Francisco, where you've got a huge Asian community. And, um, and there are a lot of people who are Asian who are filling up the best schools, as it were, based entirely on test scores. And then there are people who are white who are saying, hey, wait, this isn't fair. So then what should we do? Should we have quotas for race? Is that the right thing to do? Should we do it entirely on test scores? Is that so it's the problems are still here and we're still grappling and wrestling with them. Um, and and what the far left is trying to do is to create a just world by forcing the hand of people who have uh, racist views, racist actions, um, and and systems that are in place that are sexist, that are homophobic, that are fundamentally problematic to social justice. I get that. I'm completely on board with the goal, and I'm completely on board with the fact that there is a problem however, because there is absolutely problem. However, and here's the big however, I think that cancel culture is an incredibly toxic and dangerous um, black mark, like dangerous. Uh, negative check on the far left uh, check mark in their um, weapons and their in their tools. Now, I get what they're trying to do. What they're trying to do is say, okay, uh, we don't want to burn down buildings. We don't want to go and set bombs and blow things up. What we're going to try to do is we're going to try to change the culture and the dialogue around things. And if somebody says something that's problematic, we're going to call them out and hold them to task. You have said something wrong. This is wrong. Let me point it out. However, it's gotten to the point where it's weaponized. And 
I personally even experienced this in my own Facebook discussions and own conversations with, with friends and colleagues. And like I said, like I'm coming at this from the left and not only will I have people from on the right, you know, disagree with me and say things, but honestly, the strongest attacks that I get, the people who literally will say like, this is a vile, disgusting speech, you know, I'm deeply disappointed in who you are as a person. I really thought you were a better human being. Like this kind of stuff comes at me, like, and we probably agree on 95% of, of whatever. Um, the, 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 uh, one example that I could bring up, and I'm not that familiar with the specific details of it, only the broad strokes, is uh, J.K. Rowling, who was a very active and vocal advocate for women's rights, for mm -hmm. social justice, for, for progressive issues, anti-Donald Trump, didn't mind speaking out with speaker piece, and she made some statements about uh, trans women where she felt like she, she said, but there still need to be some spaces in which women uh, who aren't trans women are protected. And I think she had some experiences in her life um, that involved abuse or whatnot. Again, like I'm painting with really broad strokes and I'm sure I'm getting some of this wrong, but bottom line, she made some statements and there were people who said like, you're very transphobic. Your statements are horrible. I'm no longer supporting you. Uh, and basically you are canceled. I will no longer read Harry Potter. I won't, you know, share any of these stories. It's an unfortunate thing that that uh, your work has been permanently tainted by these statements you've made. And there are just so many reasons that this is problematic. Number one, it's possible to separate the art from the from the artist, okay? And I think we look at this further away. We can talk about Wagner, who was supportive of Nazis and stuff like that. It doesn't mean his operas weren't beautiful and his songwriters were beautiful. He's still like horrible, contemptible. Don't get me wrong. And frankly, you go far enough back in in history, and everybody's got some kind of a problem when you look at it. You know, current, politically, sexism, racism, blah 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 blah. So it's a can of worms. That basically, you're not going to be able to read anybody's literature. You're not going to, you know, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. Like we're talking about these people who built the freedoms upon which we now rely as Americans, and yet they were slaveholders. So there was this deep, deep, uh, you know, dichotomy within the nature of who they were. Okay. So that's problem number one. Problem number two, these people mostly agree with, with JK Rowling. Like, okay, let's say you agree with someone 95%, 98%, but they do this 2% thing and you disagree with that 2% thing. You're going to literally throw them under the bus. You know, it's, it's like left on left violence. Like, what are you going to call Like, You're going to, you're going to rip their heart out and stomp on it and and try to destroy their career. And there have been people who, whose, whose careers, and they've said like they've lost their jobs or whatever because of statements that have been made and, and the fact they've been called out because they thought certain things or they had certain beliefs or whatever. This is, this is pernicious uh, 1984 thought police stuff. Um, and in a, in a political uh, you know, country, a, a, a democracy in which we need to be able to speak our truth, to be able to find the hard answers to the hard solutions, because the easy stuff's already been solved. We, we can't silence people. And and uh, I'll end with the fact that uh, when reading a great article in The Economist, and I, I tend to get most of my news, both in, specifically in print and from uh, foreign news sources like the BBC and, and The Economist and whatnot, because I really like the fact that they distance themselves enough from American the, the muck of as it were so that you get a kind of a clearer perspective mm -hmm. on it all um they quoted in one article about the fact that uh i think it was a cato institute study 
that basically said only the far left in American political and general discourse feels completely free to say whatever they want. Everyone else from like the center left to like the, the just the left left all the way through everyone on the right feels as though they are not able to speak freely because of the potential pernicious repercussions that uh, would face them and that could affect their jobs it could affect their livelihoods you know beyond even just friendships um yeah that's you know, sorry for speaking so long no, though, but this but, is that's a problem yes it is um it is interesting to me too that you have um you know, we say the left, there's the extreme left and the extreme right, and they just keep going. There is no end. And I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think maybe there is an end to these left and rights. And then there's everything beyond that that doesn't qualify, but somehow we say that it is right. Like if some people would say to go far enough right, well, now you have... Um, the KKK and stuff like that. It's oh, like, absolutely. no, I'm pretty and sure fascism that's... And like, no, it's horrible, horrible. But you go all the way to the far left and you end up with um, like communism and, and, and uh, or like a repressive socialist state. Now, I think there are also successful socialist states, the social democratic, uh, you know, governments that are in Northern Europe or whatever, which have free speech and have a larger social safety net than we do here in America. And frankly, they rate higher annually on their happiness scales and, and their people, they have less freedom, like uh, when it comes to how much money they make in their taxes, but also the people there. And I have a lot of friends, I travel the world all the time, I have a lot of friends who live there and they're like, it's, you know, it's nice. So so the word socialism, frankly, has been weaponized to some extent by the right when, and, and not being able to differentiate between these, these different things. And and uh, so that that's problematic as well, because, you know, and I think Bernie Sanders was a politician who was both uh, bringing dialogue and, and light and perspective to his, you know, his political views, but at the same time was dismissed because people, you know, likened him to Castro or something like that. And there's a pretty wide gulf, you know, between Norway and Cuba instance you think he should have ran uh as a democrat you think him admitting being so honest that he was a democratic socialist you think that really cost him in going further in politics yeah i absolutely do and i think if we look at uh the political uh landscape right now and the results the fact that biden barely squeaked through um I, and there were more people who voted for trump in every category right? You know, black women, black men, Latinos, Latina, you know, like the whole, every category, there were more people who voted for Trump. Uh, and in fact, I have a lot of friends who are conservative who hated Trump. And in fact, they voted against him in the first election, but the second time they voted for him and they were like, we hate Trump, but mm. we're even more afraid of the far left. Hmm. And the belief that uh, that Biden is some kind of a Trojan horse and that he'll not make it through all the way all four years. Or he'll have a cabinet and there'll be the people calling the shots like, you know, frankly, was the case with George W. Bush, who, you know, had a much stronger vice president and a cabinet that made a lot of decisions uh, for him or on his behalf, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not it's not an impossible scenario, um, but that fear for them was worse than. No, like the the lesser of two evils, the the devil in their hand, which to people on the left, of course, is like, but how could there be anything worse than Trump? So this is why I think our political landscape is 
is really problematic because there are a lot of people that that I talk to and know on the left who say, if you voted for Trump, you're a racist because you know he's racist and you've heard his racist rhetoric. And I'll tell you, like, I don't think there's any question. I think the man, like, active dog whistles and I think there's a measure of racism in what he has said. Um, and and I think it's just fundamental to who he is. And, but I think everybody has some racism in them. So I'm not excusing it, but the little song from Avenue Q, everyone's a little bit racist <laughs> sometimes. Like, yeah, like I, I grew up with 70s cop shows and the bad guys were the black people. Like, yeah, I, you know, there's, there is some of this stuff hardwired in all of us and we need to t- untangle it and do that work. Um, and I'm actively trying to do that work, but I also don't want to pretend like there's not a piece of it in, in, in the American psyche. So these, but all of this is to say right now, to be on the right or to be on the left and to even try to talk to people on the other side, how how dare you vote for Trump or think that that is a better situation than Biden? And then people on the right who are like, I got to tell you, I think that we're like on the cusp of some kind of pernicious socialism that is going to destroy the core and the fabric of American life. And Biden is um, like actively senile and he's going to have this whole cabinet. We're going to come and just tear apart our our liberties and our freedoms. And they just can't even talk to each other. And this is where I think that the, the the lack of freedom to state one's viewpoints without reprisal uh, makes the overall situation much worse. Hmm. Do you think this is, um, you know, in when you're making music with people, the, the, the truest music, the mm. best music is based yes. off of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this world where you get attacked for who you are um, or what you believe, do not, you not think, by everyone, but but by some people? Yes, right. absolutely. Do yeah, you yeah, think yeah. that it is uh, impacting music making? Well, probably. Um, and like I said, my my life's work is to spread harmony through harmony and to try to create connections and build commonalities that allow people to see past the difficulties um, that are presented to us and the false dichotomy between right and left. Because like I said, the actual political spectrum is a giant three-dimensional map of dots and it's just a messy cloud of different perspectives and beliefs and and positions and and ideologies. And, And the fact is almost all Americans just want life to be better for everyone. I'm not saying everybody, because there are some people out there who are, who are malicious, malignant, sociopathic, whatever, but the vast majority of people on this planet just want to live and let live and want a better life for everybody else, right or left. Um, but let me give, give an example, because I was mentioning affirmative action beforehand. Um, I think it's reasonable to believe that affirmative action is the best or one of the most effective tools to creating a more racially balanced uh, landscape in schools or whatever. I also think it's reasonable to believe that affirmative action is undermining that goal. And it's time now to pull it out because of a number of reasons you can read all about online, people on pro and con, all that kind of stuff. However, if if belief systems become weaponized to the point where somebody of color thinks that, well, if you don't vote for affirmative action, you're against black people, right? Then 
you end up with a really bad situation because somebody else then can't come and say like, well, I, I actually, listen, I have a lot of friends of color. I want you to succeed. I think this is great, but I think societally that's actually going to send the wrong message and create more problems than it helps, right? For mm -hmm. whatever reason, maybe you're a libertarian, you think there should be fewer rules. Maybe um, you have experienced and seen how it ends up causing more resentment. Or maybe you live in San Francisco and and the school and and your particular school is uh, you know that's merit based is having you know a larger and larger Asian population and there's actually less diversity, you know, you know with it without it whatever. Um, so you end up with the situation in which uh, political viewpoints make people feel as though they are being judged, and then other people feel as though they're being victimized, and then then you have that disconnect. Um, and hopefully, hopefully we're able to get to a point where in a place where people are able to share their viewpoint and not make it um, so charged. But I do see people on, on, on the left saying like, you know, if you voted for Trump, unfriend me. You know, like you, if you did X, then you're clearly a racist and can't be my friend, et cetera, et cetera. So, and I don't actually think that's true. That going back to the count, cancel culture, I think these kind of dialogues and conversations are going on all the time, and it gets complicated, right? You know, all of this new information comes out about Michael Jackson, and then there are questions like, you know, there are a lot of people who are convinced that he abused children in a serial way over the course of his life and, and caused a lot of people's pain. So, then should his music be listened to? Should it be performed? Should it be shared? You know, what. Where do you come down on this whole thing? It's it's complicated, um, and he's no longer around to be able to support and, and defend himself. But at the same time, there's a lot of information out there, both sides, and, and he had plenty of time to make his case, and his case is out there, and there are other people still, you know, fighting on his behalf. Okay, so you got all that kind of stuff. But let's say it's definitely true, and it's it's unequivocal, and you know that that uh, he had done all these horrible things. I think it's reasonable for someone to say, okay no more like you are now persona non grata as far as our music department is concerned or whatever out of respect for children and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and abuse, you know, survivors. So, I, but, but I think that stuff was always there. Like, I don't, I don't think that it was never the case that you couldn't, you know, pull the plug on like, wow, this person has actually turned out to be pretty horrible. We're not going to, you know, share this, this, this piece of literature anymore. But on the flip side, it's like, Yes, there is racism. In fact, it's at the core of, of um, the book Huck Finn. But do we not teach it? Like, you know, uh, is it too triggering? Or is it actually valuable that somebody spends some time interacting with and seeing the N-word so they realize, like, the, the like constants of it in American life at that time to really bring themselves into that culture and realize that the most sympathetic character in that entire book and the person who is the most wonderful and human is Jim, in fact, uh, who's, who's on the, you know, receiving end of, of all of this. Um, yeah, it's difficult. It's challenging. And there are also, when, you, when you're dealing with the trans issue, I think like the J.K. Rowling situation brings up, there are other thoughts and, and perspectives. And one last thing I'll say about this is, our culture has been moving really quickly on a lot of stuff. If you go back just 20 years, the idea of, of gay marriage, for instance, is so like 
unthinkable in our culture, like as something that's going to happen. And now there've been so many wonderful um, social, social changes and boom, 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 boom down the line. Like there's been a lot of, of positive social motion and momentum uh, that I think for some people is a little unstabilizing and uh, it's taking them a little time to catch up, I think with, with where we are. And that's okay too. Like, you know, personally, I don't think we're moving fast enough, but that's, that's my I, issue. I, well, I, 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 I agree with you completely. And I'm out here on the West coast and we're trying really hard through, um, through music and culture and like through my life's work to build those bridges and to humanize people who are different so that not just, you know, uh, you know, boxes that have been checked already, but, but further boxes. So it's okay for people to be themselves, but mm -hmm. In a liberal culture, it has to be okay for everyone to be themselves. So it should be okay to be a trans man or woman and nobody holds anything against you. At the same time, it should be okay to be conservative and to believe that it is good to have fewer taxes, you know, or it's best to not have as many laws around this or regulations. Like, even if I disagree with a person, it's like, I'll defend to the death their right to have those opinions because that's what we need. We need dialogue. We need open discourse. We need communication to be able to get to the deeper truths. And um, and the worst thing that we can possibly have are things that we can't discuss. In fact, the situation in France um, that happened recently with the beheading of an English teacher who showed the... Um, the cartoons of Muhammad that were in the Charlie Hebdo, uh, kind of their equivalent of the onion, right? Their mad magazine that had mm -hmm. political cartoons about all different religions. It was like the religion issue. And uh, of course, a, a few years ago, a gunman came in and pretty much killed everybody who was in there. Mm -hmm. But the, very recently, this English teacher showed the, uh, showed this to this class. And before he did it, he said, please turn away. This may be offensive to some people if you don't want to see it. You know, turn your head and um and then uh it was the father of of a girl who wasn't even in the class that day who heard about this you know shared this news somewhere online somebody else came some jihadist and, and beheaded the teacher um and the great article in the economist basically said uh nobody has a right to not be offended and that's exactly right nobody has a right to not be offended we need to be able to have communication and discourse that allows for everyone's viewpoint, even viewpoints that you think are um, wrong or disgusting or offensive, because the only way to combat those is more light, more communication. Here's the thing, you know, that's why this perspective is wrong. But, and this is a concept from marriage counseling and therapy. This is a concept from interpersonal work. We have to identify the concept and the thought and the idea as separate from the individual. And this is where our country's getting it wrong, right? The people on the right and the people on the left aren't the problem. Maybe their ideas are, but why don't we take those ideas and we put them outside of ourselves? And let's talk about and discuss this idea as a third thing. And the two of us can go at it, or let's look at this problem. You're not the problem. This is the problem. You think the best way to come at it is from this side. We think it's from that side. Let's get together and try to figure out how where's our commonality which because there's usually going to be a lot of common ground and then let's find a way that we can tackle this problem together right that's that's really at the key of all this and you can't do it without communication hmm. 
So we would like to thank you for coming, Deke, and uh, for talking with us. Where can people connect with you at? It has been my pleasure. Uh, probably the easiest place is to find me online, uh, deeksharon.com. That's D-E-K-E-S-H-A-R-O-N.com. And you can find me on Deke Sharon on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, blah, 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 um, if you prefer any of those social media platforms. But I'm an easy person to find, easy person to get in touch with. And what, what, what would you like to leave the audience with? What's one thing you would like to leave the audience with in this time? It's the concept that we, none of us have all of the answers. And this idea that we're so certain that we know what's best uh, is usually changed as soon as we get more understanding and perspective from others. So the most powerful thing that we can do when we're having a conversation is first of all, allow people to feel safe and comfortable in talking to us and let them know that you're not going to destroy their livelihood when we're having this conversation. And moreover, start by listening. Because as soon as you get that other information that someone else has, usually your t sum total of information is much greater and it helps you achieve a higher level of understanding. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to agree on everything all the time. That's absolutely the case. However, I think there'd be much more respect, much more commonality, and much more harmony in American culture if we did that. And that is absolutely what we need right now. I'm hoping that over the next several years, we will be able to knit back together the fabric of American culture and, and, and recognize that, frankly, our states aren't blue and red. They're all purple, right? And so let's all just enjoy our purpleness, and uh, do, do what we can working together to make this world a better place. Thanks so much for being with us, and thank you, Deke, for your time and message. You can also catch bonus material from Deke's interview on our website, www.leadingchangepodcast.com, or on YouTube. We call this bonus content The Curtain Call, and this curtain call is a time where we just relax, ask some fun questions, and by the end of it, you really feel like you know our guest. And you can see that, again, at www.leadingchangepodcast.com. Catch us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and all major podcasting platforms. My name is Adam Christie, and we'll catch you on our next episode on the podcast, Leading Change.